0: Welcome to Clothes Horse, the podcast that will never tell you that you are too fat for the way you dress. I'm your host, Amanda. Before we get into things, I just wanted to express my gratitude for all of the positive feedback we have been receiving across social media. Before we get into things, I just wanted to express my gratitude for all the positive feedback I've been seeing across social media. Thank you so much for sharing our podcast, for sending encouraging messages, to making me feel like I'm doing something meaningful. When I began working on Clotheshorse, Horse, I thought it would be just sort of an educational, like, explainer of how things work behind the scenes of the fashion and retail industries. But almost as soon as I began working, I saw that it was turning into something else. Yes, it's still educational, but there's a different mission. Making us all aware of what we are buying so we can make better decisions about where and how we spend our money. Hopefully it's making you start thinking about your shopping habits. I know it's making me rethink a lot of my behavior. I've been unsubscribing to brand and retailer emails like it's going out of style. Especially when I realize that a lot of brands that I don't think of as fast fashion, they really are fast fashion. Maybe with just slightly higher prices, Right. And I'm using my own voice on social media to urge brands to hashtag pay up, to call out retailers that are knocking off small artists and designers to encourage and lift up people who are doing good things. This week, I officially went from furloughed to laid off. It's kind of a scary time, of course. But working on Clothes Horse and hearing from listeners has made me realize that I can't go back to buying fast fashion. I can no longer put on my professional blinders and pretend that everything is okay. I just can't. So I'm doubling down on this work. This is where I see my future in one way or another. And thank you for being a part of this. Today, we are going to continue our conversation with e-commerce expert, Kim. In addition to breaking down the environmental impact of buying stuff online, spoiler, it's a mixed bag, We are also going to meander through some recent fashion and retail-related headlines in a practice we like to call gossiping about the industry. We hate gossiping about people, but we sure can go on for hours about such and such as assortment strategy. It's our thing. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to jump right into the episode today. After the discussion with Kim, I'm going to give a little bit more of a special report about shopping holidays like Cyber Monday and Black Friday. So stay tuned for that. So, okay, so we've talked about all the things that the e-commerce brands are spending money on in order to give you what you want. Well, now... Now we're going to talk about something depressing. If you're not depressed already, <laughs>
1: or out of your mind about logistics,
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. But I think it's important to know, like these things. Like, they, it's there's so many people work on everything that we experience yeah. every day. So now we're going to talk about the environmental impacts of e-commerce, and this is this is going to be the depressing part, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but educational and maybe inspiring. Some studies have shown, so there's some good news. Some studies have shown that online shopping has a smaller carbon footprint because of more streamlined logistics. So well, let's like think about that. Like, Let's pretend we're going to go buy something at the store. Well, first, the product ships from the vendor to the warehouse, the distribution center for that company. Then the warehouse breaks this into separate shipments to fill the store inventories. And then those shipments are shipped to the store. So when you think about a retailer that has like 200, 500, 1,000 stores, that's a lot of additional shipping. And as we mentioned previously, like a lot of retailers will have a, a warehouse on each coast or multiple. Uh, they're definitely gonna do that if they have a ton of stores too, cause they wanna get the product to the stores really fast. When I was working in a more standard brick and mortar buying role, and I was buying for like 200 stores, I mean, we would see that it would take about two weeks for the product to get to the store and go out on the floor and be available to customers to purchase. Like it's a slow process. It can, it can be up to a month. For sure. Too. For sure. Yeah. God forbid there's like a blizzard or something along the way. So then the product gets to the store, but it has to be unpacked, probably steamed, hung, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so much stuff in between. And then they'll be available for you to purchase. But then you have to get to the store somehow to buy it. And maybe you're super careful about your carbon footprint. So you like walked or rode public transportation. But lots of other people drove cars there, too. So there's just all this gasoline being used to get this to you, basically. Like a lot of fuel, a lot of energy, a lot of time. So, But meanwhile, the path of an e-com product is a lot simpler. So the product ships to the warehouse from the vendor, just like the other product. The warehouse staff puts the product away in bins. You place an order. The staff picks and packs it, as we've talked. It ships directly to you. So there's a lot less trucks and cars involved, Right. But then this like rosy, happy, oh my god, e-commerce is the future of the world. This like happy carbon footprint story becomes a lot darker when you decide to return the product. So now we're looking at double transportation back to the warehouse. But then we get to the really, the really sad part, which is many retailers destroy the product rather than inspect, repair, return to inventory. I mean, it's just it's just too expensive, and as we just talked about, it, it takes so much time. You know, and you're paying people by the hour to do this. And the idea for a lot of brands of selling this product that was returned at a discount is brand damaging, meaning that just would devalue the brand. But it is interesting to know that electronics that are returned to e com sites are often refurbished and resold. And there's like a thriving market for that, like this open box refurbished market. But clothes are just trucked off to the landfill. And there are a lot of companies that destroy this product. In fact, I would say almost all of them. But as of 2017, H&M and Nike were definitely doing it. Amazon actually often resells the product to jobbers to resell on their own. Like I listened to a podcast called um, Mother May I Sleep With Podcast, and it's about Lifetime movies, if you're interested. And the host Molly went through a phase where she was buying these pallets of returns for Amazon. So like, she wouldn't know what she was going to get, you know, would just arrive and then she would go through it and she opened a little storefront selling it. And it would be like children's clothes and some shoes and maybe like a denim jacket. It's not, it's not like you get a full product assortment. Like you're not going to get it in all sizes. It's sort of, it's almost like a, you get to start your own thrift store kind of, I guess. So there's a startup called Renewal Workshop that works with brands like North Face and Prana to recycle, reuse, or upcycle returned items. But once again, like even in that happy ending sort of story, the carbon footprint of an item is increased as it's trucked from the warehouse to the Renewal Workshop. So it's just like another ride, or maybe it went on an airplane. We don't know. So, okay, I'm going to do an exercise with you, Kim. Yeah. Let's say you bought three pairs of jeans because you're. All right. cause now you've changed- you change yeah. who you are and you're a person who's really into jeans now, right?
1: <laughs> but you were like, I'm new to jeans. Yeah. I don't know how they fit anymore.
0: Right. So I'm going to buy three, but I'm, I'm only going to keep one, right? I, I know that. So you were somehow really lucky. And in your first attempt at buying jeans in a really long time, one of them worked. <laughs> so you're, you're getting the other two packed up and you send them back. So by the time these jeans got to you for the first time... They'd already been on two truck rides to get to you from the vendor to the warehouse and then from the warehouse to you. but you ship them back to the warehouse, you know that's what you we're planning on doing all along You we're gonna yeah. keep them. So that's a third truck ride. Um, okay, and I have good news for you because I know now you're like shit, I should not have bought three pairs of jeans because they're gonna get damaged out and they're just gonna go in the trash, but actually, you know what? These jeans have a happy ending. They're going to be consolidated to go to a reseller or a recycler. And that's good news because you also bought stretchy jeans, which I, you know, because you're going through a new thing. It's like very quarantine. <laughs> and so these, <laughs> these stretchy jeans contain elastin, so they are not biodegradable. So it's great that these jeans are going to get another life. So they're going on this fourth truck ride to, to this new, this reseller now someone bought those jeans from the reseller who maybe maybe they listed them on Poshmark. And that's a fifth truck ride. So you've basically more than doubled the carbon footprint of those jeans. And that was just like a really straightforward like average typical return scenario. It's so gross. I know but there's like other things to think about, right? Because we've yeah. already kind of talked through this like one What if you did that expedited shipping that you were talking about? You were like, I, you were like, I need these jeans right now. Like I'm not going anywhere for the next two weeks, but if I don't get these jeans, and don't get
1: all the packaging.
0: Yeah. Oh God. And the poly bags. Once again, Mm -hmm. we, we both agree that they're kind of this necessary evil, but there they are. They poly Mm -hmm. bagged when you got them. Probably they were put in a new poly bag to go to the recycler.
1: I mean, and, and, and to be clear, it's not all brands. Right. Definitely some brands do this. I think it probably comes down to some operations and costing.
0: Mm -hmm. And it seems to be based on my research, because to be clear, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are not being very forthcoming with this information because it's pretty mortifying. It seems that it's the larger retailers who sort of have the, if, if you will, the luxury to just throw this stuff away. And the margin. Right, right. Whereas like a smaller brand or a startup can't afford to throw inventory away like they need every last cent back if they sold those the returned items to a reseller i mean they're selling them for like pennies on the dollar it's basically the same as throwing it out yeah that you can only do that if you're selling so many units and you have such a high margin that it it doesn't matter um so it's kind of almost like one more reason to really focus on your placing your orders with smaller brands who are going to take this a little bit more seriously so another thing that causes a ton of extra shipments and returns to happen that don't really need to happen are these shopping holidays. That's what I call them, like Cyber Monday or Singles Day, because tons of people order tons of shit that they don't need, right? Because they're like, oh, my God, deals, deals, deals. And so then we have all that packaging, even more shipping and delivery. And it usually happens in like a relatively short time. People buy tons of stuff that they probably don't need, and they're going to return it. Or they'll be like, ugh returns too much work. I'm just going to give it to the goodwill. Right. And these deals come with an additional price that I think a lot of people are unaware of, which is when you buy something on Cyber Monday, which is like a planned promotion, like they don't decide the day before, like what these Cyber Monday deals are going to be like, they've been planning them for months. They went to market to look for product that they could sell for you at half price Or they developed product, like six months prior. Right. And they, I mean, they planned it this way, right? Like they Mm -hmm. knew that they were going to say, hey, this, this dress is $98 normally. We're going to sell it for $50. And we're going to be like, holy shit, 50% off brand new product. Like this, if this doesn't sound familiar to you, then you've never turned on your computer on Cyber Monday or Black Friday. So they knew, they knew in advance that they were gonna sell this product for $50. They still wanna make the same margin that they make on regular products. So they're going to buy into this. So these goods are gonna be less expensive brands, materials, fabrics. It's, it's going to be fast fashion at its core. And they might even, I mean, they might've said, we're gonna plan this so far out that we'll save money by shipping it on a boat versus a plane but still it's, it's, it's cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, you know what I, when I think of this kind of stuff about like, uh, planning your assortment into like a, a clearance event, I always think of holes oh. Yeah, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's, it's
1: bad news to do it, to do that. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But
0: no, no. I know you have passionate goals. feelings about this. I know uh, it's just,
1: it's not good to, to plan into sale. Like like it's it, cuz <laughs> i mean un, unless you're basically trying to comp a really really excessive prior year or something like planning into sale is just it's just bad for business it looks bad it's
0: and it trains it trains your customer to say you know what i'm going to wait until black friday or cyber monday or the day after christmas and We know now in 2020 and for the past few years that brands have been intentionally like sourcing into meaning like finding, developing, buying product Mm -hmm. for these deal days, but it wasn't always that case. If you went back five or maybe 10 years and thought about what it was like to shop on Black Friday online back then, it would legitimately just be clearance stuff, stuff that they hadn't been able to sell before. That was, you know, they were taking this deep discount on. Yeah. Yeah. Just on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but now we have, like, Prime Day. Yeah. And, like, that's not even a holiday, guys. I mean, not that Black Friday is either, but at least that's a tradition that goes back a lot longer. I mean,
1: every year it gets more competitive. It gets longer. I mean, now Cyber Monday, Black Friday, Green Monday, like, it just is, it now takes up two months.
0: Right, right. And so you have to be competitive. You have to have these deals. So you're planning in advance. How can I make the maximum amount of margin to accommodate these deals? And so it's like, okay, well, we're going to use way more polyester. We're going to use low quality trims. Mm -hmm. So like zippers and buttons that break faster. And, you know, it's just, it's just not going to be nice. And some brands might also make it harder to return it because they don't want to lose that money Mm -hmm. because once again, they sold it to you at half the price.
1: Yeah or it's just dogs. It's basically inventory overages of product that didn't sell maybe even last year. Yeah, it's Stuff that people don't want. And it's, they're like, okay, well, what are we going to do? All right. Well, we we have like, you know, 20% of our stock is just sitting here and it hasn't moved in, you know, so-and-so, you know, six months. And we, it was just dogs it didn't sell well. We're like, oh, well, you know what? Let's plant it into the the, the Black Friday promotions, you know, then they do it fifty percent off, slashed.
0: Yeah, and then maybe they'll sell it,
1: but again, like, a loss leader. It drives people to the site for uh, to buy other things, also because technically, it's a poor performing product, and even at fifty percent off, you know, you never know. Like it might, <laughs> it might still not sell, but it's it's a, it's a way to liquidate that inventory without looking bad. Absolutely. Because that's when everyone else is selling stuff
0: and retailers might raise their free shipping thresholds. Maybe it was $50 mm-hmm. most of the year, but suddenly it's a hundred dollars yeah. because they want you to buy more of this shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's all very calculated. None of this happens by accident more mm-hmm. than any other business. E-commerce is all about data and looking at trends and planning your business based on data. So it's all extremely calculated,
1: which is a good thing and a bad thing because, you know, delivering the right thing to, to people and and knowing what they want before they know what they even want is like, is such a (laughs) cool, maybe, (laughs) you know, you know, for privacy purposes, maybe some people don't like so much. I love it. I love when I'm like looking for a rug online or something. And I'll know that I will start getting delivered all these messages on all these other rugs. That <laughs> <That's all> great.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, in many ways it can be great. Cause I'll be like, Whoa, how do they know to suggest this brand mm-hmm. to me? This is like exactly what I wanted. It. It's like sustainable caftans mm-hmm. or something. How did they know? But then other times it will be kind of weird. Like, I think I was telling you this story, Kim, that, uh, I think, Dustin, my husband got served an ad on Instagram for irritable bowel yes. syndrome medication yes. and he was like, "Okay, who's got diarrhea?" Yeah. and it was it was me. <laughs> I <I've been Googling. laughs> And he was sort of like at this point in your life like h- haven't you giggled this enough? Yeah. <laughs> or like I got served an ad on Instagram for bagels. Yeah.
1: You're gluten intolerant.
0: Which definitely came from Dustin cuz I I have to eat a gluten-free diet
1: but he loves a bagel. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. He's at least one a day, if not two or three. So but usually that, usually that comes from like IP addresses and that, I mean, that's, that's a whole other
1: animal, which is like all these different direct marketing.
0: Yeah. So I would say like, you know, how sometimes it feels like your phone has been listening to you and I'm still not 100. It is. Okay. It is. So there you go. You heard it here first, but also sometimes it could be that you talked with someone else in your household about something and then they looked it up. So it's. Yeah. I mean, trust me, they know a lot about you and it's kind of, when you're on the other side and you're like crunching the data, it's kind of cool, but it it's also gross for sure.
1: And they're not fully, you know, like they, by they were talking about them, like Facebook, Instagram, you know, um, Google's things like that. They're you know, they're not fully transparent on where they're getting all of their data, but they are just crunching tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of numbers. And they've gotten better and better and better at it. You know, like you could literally be on Amazon looking something up and then you'll get delivered a message of something you were looking up on Amazon, you know? Yeah. Where they're getting their information from, you know, a lot of it's just they're buying it. They're, you know, purchasing it off of stuff. It's it's a whole it's a whole world out there of, of how they're doing it but it's actually pretty cool to me because like they're just getting more and more hyper targeted and they're delivering mm-hmm. the right messages because there's nothing worse than if you have to have an ad at least it's an ad that makes sense you know
0: yeah it's true and I think we've reached a point where like I don't even see stuff on the internet. Yeah. That I'm not interested in it anymore. Yeah. But you remember, like in the early aughts, like we're like maybe even 2010 on Facebook, how everybody would receive the same generic ads, and there was always one that was like, "Obama says single mothers can go to college." So it was like always the weirder. What thing? That's, or, I or, remember like, that thing. That thing still going around. Or like a weird way to lose belly fat, like everybody was getting all and you know now I I don't see anything like that and it's always very specific. Like I get so many ads for companies that sell house plants and I'm like, "Oh, cool. Yeah. I like that,
1: you know. And yeah, you find out about these really cool startups and things like the, the people that have the money and can are are, are using programmatic ad, ads and like di- all their digital advertising paid di- digital advertising like the ones that have the money usually are the smarter ones and usually can can deliver on like a good customer experience as well so you know exploring them and you know if you click through an ad from facebook you're not you know it does aggravate that it aggravates the um the the ad delivery because it will then deliver more to more you'll get more yeah. <laughs> you know that that's how it's set up is to retarget you.
0: And once again, like, I mean, it is a loss of privacy. Like, we're not saying that this is great. We're just saying, like, there are positive aspects to it, maybe. If we're trying yeah. to make, you know, a lemonade out of lemons here. And But right now, like, that's kind of the,
1: that's the number one way that people are acquiring new customers is through these types of ads, it used to be PR, you know, like you get put in Vogue magazine or, you know, it was influencers. Now influencers just don't have the same influence, you know, now it's micro influencers, but the only, the only way to like have a reliable source of, of finding new people and, being targeted to the right people. Like that's the big point is like the actual right people, people that that have them the most likelihood of actually being interested in your product is through this channel. And you know, it's going to change it's going to change all the time you know i think tiktok's now allowing it and all these other social media platforms and in 10 years it's going to look totally different
0: well and i think that's also because like we as customers we get smarter and smarter too we do i mean do you remember when instagram was really where you just saw photos of your friends yeah and then it turned into like a place you see photos of your friends and like influencers mm-hmm. who were trying to sell you stuff and then it turned into a place where you also see ads but they were very clear and now it's sort of like most because of the algorithm changes and you know social media spending and brands changing yeah. the way they sell it's a money-making platform yeah now it's mostly advertisements with a few photos from your friends mm-hmm. and I think people are starting to like you talked about how influencers are sort of losing their power. And I think that's a big part of it because we're all, we're all kind of fed up with it. Right. Especially Mm -hmm. now. I feel like right now we're all at home. Things suck. Everything is so stressful and scary. And it's like, I, I just don't want to be sold a pair of like $80 jogging pants just because someone who's a size zero wore them while they were drinking Rose or something like I just, yeah. In some, some fake
1: non-transparent
0: yeah, yeah, and I think that we all want authenticity mm-hmm. and I think it used to be there. It's not there anymore. Um I also have seen I don't know if you and I have talked about this before, Kim, but you know, for a long time there were some real powerhouses that were sort of like blogs to sell stuff to women kind but there was also content like Refinery Twenty Nine. Like man repeller. Man repeller, bustle, mm-hmm. like those kinds yeah. of things where these were like powerhouses of making you want things. But there was yeah. also this feeling of genuine content and you know they had deals with brands they were either charging brands a fee Mm -hmm. to be included in their content or they were getting direct like uh, commission off of sales of anything you click through that's actually a really huge thing that's still happening
1: it
0: is it is it seems like it's starting to wane because a lot of these brands, one have not brands, but like blogs have run into financial issues. Uh, and once again, because now slowly we're starting to see like, wait, I feel like Refinery29 is just all advertisements, right? Like it took people a while to figure that out. And, you know, and then also like our belief that they were a source of like journalism (laughs) has also gone. Yeah. And so I'm interested to see, like, if we know that influencers are kind of falling down now, right? And we know that, I mean, people don't watch television commercials, right? Because we're streaming and we don't really believe or trust these like blogs anymore. Like what's the next place we're going to be <laughs> sold things. Yeah. That's just like something to think about, like how, and I also, I'm sure like if you're a small brand, it's also sort of terrifying, like what... What can I do to get in front yeah. of people now? You, you know, and I, I don't have an answer to that question, but it'll be interesting to see what that next evolution is.
1: I mean, my answer is 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 Facebook and Instagram right now.
0: I think so too. I think that there's been a re engagement in those two platforms because we can't see people in real life,
1: mm-hmm. and people are 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 you know even like the, the uh, a generation that maybe wasn't so interested in purchasing online is now. They're purchasing online because it's the safest thing to do that's true that's true you know and, and come other commodities beyond fashion like um food and beverage mm-hmm. is just blowing up online
0: oh for sure i get so many alcoholic seltzer ads mm-hmm. like yeah. constantly like a new brand yeah. every day yeah and like yeah. niche beverages that have health benefits. They, they know what I like. They know what I like.
1: Oh, I know. I get, this, I, get I get those same ads and they're beautiful. And like, I love seeing them. I mean, um, I actually just bought, or I just got a package delivered of this um, coffee concentrate and I was, I wasn't even delivered the ad. I was just like, I need, co- like I really like cold brew coffee concentrate. I get them from, from whole foods or, you know I get them delivered uh-huh. and they're just it's so much there's so much glass they're huge and they're heavy yeah and I'm just like there's gotta be yeah. a better way and I like went online and they make there's this thing called a <laughs> jot j o t and they do these like twenty times concentrated coffee and you take a tablespoon and you mix it into like eight ounces of water or or um, almond milk or whatever you use and it's, it's it's the same strength as a regular coffee and didn't, It's awesome. And it comes and it's so much smaller. It's like a
0: little, you know. I mean, I I like this, though. This is like making me want to buy it because I have the same problem, which makes me think of like, Mm -hmm. you know, influencers and these blogs that we were talking about. They Mm -hmm. rose up, became these very effective tools for selling things because they felt genuine, they felt like real word of mouth. Because mm-hmm. it was aspirational, right? It was aspirational. It was like all people inspired. Like if this woman mm-hmm. who lives in this beautiful house mm-hmm. and travels all the time likes this product, well, then I want it uh, too. Yeah. And I think now like we're all jaded and we're like, yeah, yeah fuck that. Like you just built a McMansion off of <laughs> selling diet tea. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, in, the, in your bikini. your yeah. bikini, right. Right. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens next. I think it is really about like, going back to this very old tiny marketing that stores relied on where it would be like you would tell me that you went somewhere and bought something cool and I would be like, "Well, I think Kim's cool. I'm going to go buy it." Like And that's what it is. It's
1: more, they're called micro-influencers now and they have like maybe a thousand followers. Oh.
0: That's like no one. I have a thousand followers. I'm yeah. ready so, to like start selling diet tea. Yeah, it's
1: like, well, it, it's different levels, you know, like the maybe influences are in, you know, in the millions. But now it's just okay, it's targeting micro influencers that are more into a niche and they just have more reliability and they, you know, um, you may pay them a fee or you give, just give them a mm-hmm. product, you know, in they have anywhere from a thousand to 30,000 followers to 50,000 followers. Um, and that's technically a micro influencer, but actually one of the biggest ways that for to, you know, at the, at the, the product level, I, when the person's on the website, that really turns people on is, um, product oh, reviews. For sure. And, 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 you know, from at graph we, partnered with a product review company called YachtPo and they're one of the biggest ones and they're also rather uh, pricey, but it's it works and it has completely changed our business because it allows for verified Ooh. reviews to come through. And you know, we, we have face masks. We have we've launched them a couple months ago. We have like over eight, I don't know, 750 Um, reviews on these masks, you know, and some are good, some are bad. You know, it's like, it's having, if, if, if you have these reviews, I mean, just like going on Amazon, if someone says something good about it or says something that, you know, resonates with the problem that you're having or what you're looking for sold immediately way over influencer. If, if this woman in Tuscaloosa says that, you know, this coffee is the best thing that she's ever had, sold <laughs> right <laughs> you know because you, like you don't even know who this like it doesn't matter
0: i mean when i was at mod cloth like reviews were the name of the game like we had a yeah. of anywhere i've worked we had the most engaged customers and so everybody would leave a rev- review about everything and most people would post a photo of themselves wearing the yeah, garment the and photos. and if uh, a product had less than like three or four stars even if it had sold out and had a low return rate we couldn't reorder mm-hmm. it those reviews were everything. And yeah. Honestly, I would read all of the reviews and use those to make decisions. Fascinating. Yeah, I love you, it. I love it. You learn so I learned much. so much. Yeah. Because
1: well, also as a buyer, you're so far away from the customer. Like uh, you're away from the customer, you don't know really know what's happening. Like you don't know what she
0: wants besides what she's buying. Totally. Which can give you like a snapshot sort of, but like you don't mm-hmm really know what's going on like maybe she didn't return it but she feels now like she should have but you wouldn't know that because you only saw the sales and not the return but maybe it turns out she wore it three times and the zipper broke like this is Mm -hmm. something important for us to know about yeah so we've talked about how in certain ways e-commerce can be bad for the environment specifically when we get into returns or buying stuff we don't want so let's talk about how we can do better as customers. Like, should we still order online? Well, probably, right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it starts with like, now that we know that more than half of returns happen because of size, I think there's a lot of stuff we can do. There's a lot of stuff the brands can do. So first off, you should know your measurements, Mm -hmm. get a measuring tape. It's like $1 and it will change your life. I think that that can be really helpful. And Read the copy. If you don't want a polyester dress, it's going to say it's polyester. Get it out of here, right? Mm -hmm. If you're buying a dress from a company that maybe sells a lot of different brands, like Nordstrom. Yeah, like Nordstrom that sells a lot of brands, right? Go to the website for that brand and check out their size chart because the size chart you see on Nordstrom is going to be like a blanket Nordstrom size Mm -hmm. chart. And I've worked places where we've tried to get around that, but it's
1: a lot of work, a lot of manpower.
0: It's a lot. If you're a place like Nordstrom that sells, I mean, I can't even begin to speculate how many brands they carry. You'd have to have hundreds of size charts on there. It'd be excruciating. You
1: no, know, I think there's, there's some that are in like Essence actually measures out every single product of all sizes, which is just incredible.
0: You know what? That's what needs to happen. It's like mm-hmm. you and I were talking about earlier. If brands really want to lower their return rate, they'll spend mm-hmm. the money on that. Because yeah. I love that. Like when you, it's like, here's what the size eight is. Here's what the size 10 is. Like, I want to know all those details. You
1: no. Know, and also, Amanda, while you're at it, while you're on the brand site to look for the true size guide, buy it from that brand directly.
0: Absolutely. Because they're going to make so much more money off that purchase. Nordstrom's does not need it. No. I would also say if there's still anything you feel like you need to know about this garment that you don't know like maybe they haven't listed out the fabric content or it's a maxi dress and you're not very tall like email customer service Mm -hmm. for more detail because they have that information and if they don't they'll get it for you like once again this is another way you can save yourself Mm -hmm. a return or you could just go to the real store to try it on I know that's crazy talk but And you can't do it right now, right? But I hope that we live in a world, again, where you can try on clothes. I'll see something online, and I'm so 100% convinced, like, this is it. I'm going to buy it. It's going to be the best thing I ever bought. And then I go to the store and see it, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. That was a nightmare. <laughs> Dodged a bullet there. I also think, like, there's something nice about going to a real store <laughs> to go shopping, you know? I'm the absolute... Opposite. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I am online exclusive.
1: And, like, I love just <laughs> just <laughs> avoiding the actual retail experience <laughs> as much as humanly possible.
0: So, the other advice, I cannot underscore this enough. Don't buy something just because it's a deal. Like, just don't do it, okay? Because it's not a deal. Mm-hmm. Here's here's the deal about deals. If something is marked down to eighty percent on a site, there's generally a reason. Now, every once in a while something will slip through the cracks where it was just so specific that it only appealed to one kind of person and you happen to be that person. Great. But if there's a lot of inventory there, either there's a quality issue, tons of people bought it and they returned it, uh, it fits really strangely, or it's just ugly. <laughs> like like yeah. and then if it, if it's like, oh, it's Cyber Monday and every all these there's 50 new styles that launched today that are 50% off. No, just skip it. Yeah. Don't it's, buy it. It's,
1: Don't buy that.
0: it's not, it's not good. It's not going to last you a long time. And, you know, I, I just finished uh, recording another episode about excess inventory. And one thing I found in my research is that when people buy stuff for really cheap, they get excited, right? You get all these endorphins because you bought something for cheap, but it has like no value to you. So you're less likely to wear it. It doesn't feel special to you. It just kind of sits in the back of your closet until you throw it out. You had some sort of figure
1: on your Instagram, something like where people
0: buy a piece of item. What every?
1: What did you say? Something
0: like something crazy. Uh, I believe it was every about every five days, people buy a new article of clothing. Wow. It, it it calculated out to sixty six garments. What do you a what year. all buy? I mean. It, it, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would, love to hear. I would love to hear. I I do think a big part of this is these like deals, deals, deals where you're like,
1: it's yeah. HM,
0: so for $20. I need. Yeah. Yeah. I bought five things and it was only a hundred dollars. Like, you know, why, why not? But then you get at home and you're like, ah, and, and there is a psychological component where mm-hmm. you're like, wow, this dress was only $10. Like, well, I'm certainly never going to wear it to go to a party. Or a job interview, or any occasion that's remotely special, because you know it was only ten dollars. But you have to divorce yourself from how much that cost and think yeah. about it as a garment, both if you do buy it so that you will wear it more often, but also if you were just going to buy it because it's ten dollars, don't buy it. It's it's like you have to take the, the ten dollars out of the equation.
1: I'm going to throw out there, and this is I mean, this is how I shop. Is I shop. I don't, I won't buy fast fashion, like buy quality goods, you know, you maybe get it on a, you can get a deal on it if you, you know, but that's, that's the product that's literally going to last you for, I mean, I have, I have product that's like 20 years old and I still wear it, you know, like don't buy the fast fashion stuff that falls apart. Buy the quality goods from the brands that have a great story that are making things with really great materials and you'll have it in your closet forever,
0: or you can resell it. If you can't afford it brand new, just about everything you can imagine wanting can, is available mm-hmm. on resale right now. Like Absolutely. just just do some searching or, you know, I always say like vintage, you can't go wrong because that stuff is made to last already. Mm-hmm. It's already stood the test of time. Just avoid fast fashion. Yeah, just avoid it. I I get it. I've been there. It's cheap. You can get a lot of clothes, but you probably don't need like that many clothes. (laughs) You know, uh, that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. The one last thing I wanted to call out about e-commerce, and this is really important to me, be nice to the customer service staff. Like I cannot underscore that enough because all they do is get emailed and called and have chat with people all day who are mad about something.
1: Yep. Frustrated. They, they want their, their opinion. They want to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's a terrible job. It's a ter- it's a really hard job.
0: Like all you do all day is deal with people who are upset. So mm-hmm. they work very long, frustrating hours and they are getting hit with bad news from all directions, email, social, God, like Twitter and Instagram, mm-hmm. people are mad on there mm-hmm. and Facebook and yeah. phone. And then there's like chat. And I mean. Be human, and that's one of the biggest
1: problems. Is is people will buy something online. They don't have any human interaction. They forget that there are humans on the other end who are shipping your goods, who are answering the emails. Like there are people, real people. Yes, that, that this is their job or this is their passion, and. You know, they they want you to, to have a good experience. They're not trying to give you some crap.
0: Right. I mean, even when UPS loses your package, it wasn't because there was a nefarious plot against you. No, you know, never. Right. Right. I mean, no one wants, no one wants this to go wrong for you. They want you to have a good experience and come back and spend more money, but things go wrong because as you've heard us discuss, there's so many people in between and so many systems and things mm-hmm. that can go awry really easily. But it's humans,
1: it's humans. You know, unless we're talking about Amazon. You know, it this this stuff is run by humans. Yeah,
0: even at Amazon, I mean, it's humans in there who are working in these like not air conditioned warehouses, pulling your cat food and your like I, reusable straws. You know, like they're, yeah. they're 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 making yeah. that happen. Okay, so Kim and I thought we would just gossip a little bit about the future of retail because we love this shit, and then we'll probably call it a day. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about how the current retail landscape is changing. I mean, both before COVID and now. So the first one we want to talk about, because it's like our favorite thing to talk about, is all the online stores that have been closing, like yeah. big ones, ones that are big to me at least, right? Yeah. Uh, like Need Supply, Toda Kylo, Opening Ceremony. I mean, Opening Ceremony was like the coolest place you could shop mm-hmm. from, like two thousand ten to two thousand fifteen. I mean, earlier than that, I mean. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Well, before they were online. Yeah. And I feel sad about this, less because I'm like thinking about the businesses themselves, but all the brands they sold and the customers they serviced that don't have anywhere else to buy stuff now. And those brands, they have less places to sell stuff now. (laughs) A, A lot of the brands you would see at like Need Supply, for example, were like boutique brands like brands you would go shopping for in real life. But the reality is like I've seen three independent boutiques close this week alone in the era of COVID. Yeah. And like like stores that were like beloved. Yeah. I mean
1: what we really talked about is a lot of these companies, you know, they they do have their own in house brands, but a lot of them they're supporting, you know, like Amanda said, these like emerging designers and the margins there are really small you know, to run a big brand. It's not enough to run these, to, to pay for this, this, this monstrosity. And even with the in-house labels, it's just, it's not enough.
0: It's not Um, enough. And also starting your own in-house clothing line is so expensive.
1: So expensive, yeah.
0: Because as we've talked about in other episodes, like you have to buy a minimum quantity. So you're investing a lot of money in product that might not sell because you might know Need Supply as a place to buy clothing, and they sell a lot of brands that you know and trust. But you don't know how Need Supply's clothing fits or right. lives up. You know, it's 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 a huge gamble for them. And I mean, we talked to like the night that Need Supply and Toto Kylo announced that they were closing up shop. I mean,
1: and both both Need Supply and Toto Kylo are are, are owned by.
0: Herschel. Which is crazy to me because yeah. if you're like, oh, I recognize that name, that's because they make a ton of backpacks. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would speculate, and once again, this is just as an outsider, yeah. that Herschel's business is probably hurting pretty bad right now. Yeah. People are not
1: buying bags. Because I, I work in a company that sells bags. They are
0: not buying bags. She knows that, right? I mean, you heard it, you heard it here first, but yeah. also like, I think, I mean, you can jump in on this too. We felt really that Need Supply and Toto Kylo suffered... From a couple, a couple of factors, right? Like one being that they bought really heavily into this private label, meaning their own brand product. But I also saw that need supply suddenly became very expensive and fancy. Well, we've fought, we've seen this trap happen. I've seen this
1: so many times at pretty much every multi brand retailer I, I was a buyer for. You
0: We really lived it at Nasty Gal. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say it was probably one of the biggest factors Mm -hmm. in in the downfall of Nasty Gal.
1: This is on
0: par with
1: that like ego thing of having a store.
0: Yeah, it is. I think that these things kind of go hand in hand, right? They do. If you can remember Nasty Gal and the product they sold, I mean, what they were really good at was buying cheap product. And making it look a lot more valuable by styling it well, you know, associating it with, like, a certain lifestyle, putting it on these, like, beautiful models. But at its core, it was cheap. And it was, like, inexpensive to buy as a customer. There was this new practice in place, which began before we joined the company, but fell apart almost immediately after we joined, Mm -hmm. to uh, become – I I don't even know I can say this without just, like, sneering – to become – the Barney's for millennials. <laughs> that, that that was specifically the strategy, um,
1: which is a massive pivot away from what the consumer is, who she is. It, it, like the point of view is completely it, it's it's opposite.
0: She's not shopping at Barney's, and and I mean to be very transparent, what Nasty Gal was selling was fast fashion at its most fast fashionness way it could be there is this area in LA called the San Pedro Apparel Mart. And it's all really cheap, fast fashion clothing. And these brands, which are all family owned businesses, they bring in just new product constantly. It's cheap, right? It's very trendy. We would go there constantly and find new stuff, buy it, launch it, go back, buy some more, buy it, launch it, you know, just keep, keep going. Cycle, cycle, cycle. Mm-hmm. It was all really cheap and it was really profitable, had a really high margin despite being inexpensive to sell. And now it was like, okay, now we're going to become the Barneys for millennials. So we're not going to sell this fast fashion, this San Pedro Apparel Mart stuff anymore. Like now we're going to buy nicer brands. And to be fair, like we're not, it wasn't that premium. It's not as premium as Need Supply got. And in fact, Need Supply in its heyday, it was
1: like Drees on Need Supply.
0: Right. Right. So we're not, it didn't go that far in Nasty Gal. When, to be honest, what we were considering expensive for our customer at, at Nasty Gal was probably more in line with where need supply used to be, where a lot of things were like 200, $300, a hundred dollars, you know, like not, not a thousand dollars, but mm-hmm. the customer was like, I'm used to be able to come to your site and buy a sweater for like $48. And now you want me to, try, you want me to pay one fifty? like, no, And so no one bought any of the stuff.
1: I I was in the shoe department and there was like $800 shoes. I mean, what? Ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We would, we would get some crazy jewelry and bags too, that were like that. And so the customer rejected it immediately. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you could see if you had graphed out sales before and after it was like, it was almost like it went off a cliff. Like it just went. It was so bad.
1: You just deluded yourself. And then you 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 hurt yourself in front of the customer, too. The customer's just like, what the, what the hell is this? Like, who, you don't even know who I am anymore.
0: Right. So then we have to go out and cancel all this fancy shit mm-hmm. that we have on order mm-hmm. and go back down to the San Pedro Apparel Mart and buy as much as we can of this cheap stuff. But then the customer's like i'm out i'm already yeah. shopping somewhere else that takes a couple months. and we just never brought that customer back yeah yeah and we sold the expensive stuff that we still had hanging around we sold to tj maxx
1: well first it started it was like it went from 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 percent off people still wouldn't buy it because it was still above the the average price of what they're willing to spend on a Full price product, you know.
0: It's just such a mess, and I mean, I I can see that when I look at need supply and Toyota like I can see that's what happened. And they were different customers, and they started at a different price point, but they still ended up in that same situation of like everything we sell is two hundred dollars. Now it's a thousand.
1: Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's
0: it's not the same person. No. I mean like the same person who buys a lot of $200 clothes probably can't afford a thousand dollar clothes. Like
1: I guarantee you I've seen it time and time again, stop doing it. I know that it seems glamorous to be buying a higher price point luxury item, but your customer doesn't want, it. they're going to go They're They're likely going to go right to, to the, to that brand's website or store and purchase it, or maybe Barney's or Neiman's or, you know, whoever's still around um, and have that really amazing brand experience. They're not going to, <laughs> go to your website
0: no. unless it's on sale if I'm buying something that's a thousand dollars I want like the experience, you know, Mm -hmm. in that situation, I might be into a whole unboxing sitch, probably not. I'd still rather go to the store and get the glass of champagne and feel like I'm being really serviced and they're helping me find the right thing for my body. And, you know, like, I mean, listen, people had to make these mistakes for other people to learn that we shouldn't do it. Right. Like if I hadn't ever worked at Nasty Gal, I probably also would think that it was totally fine to start selling lots of expensive stuff. Like what could you lose? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It makes perfect sense. Like, hey, actually like, oh, it's only it's only ten percent of our of our error buy. Right. You no, know, but right. it's ten of their buy. I know, it's like a lot. And you mm-hmm. might say, like, well, the great thing about suddenly selling eight hundred dollar shoes is that I have to sell a lot less shoes. Yeah. I sell one. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's, it's not, the theory. it's not, it's not that simple. And I think you're like, no, but you're not selling the volume. Like you won't sell, like you want to be selling volume. Exactly. You want more customers. Like the customers are the real value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing, this one's like really hard for me to talk about it just because it's mm-hmm. like really hard to not be emotional about it, but is the accountability for brands, And like how we give them their support, our support or take it away. So I'm, I'm like, when I say that I'm thinking about like, say reformation, right? Like you and I Mm -hmm. always knew that reformation was a very dark place to work. There was like racism, there was classism, there was incredible fat phobia. That's why the clothes don't fit anyone. There was definitely like one kind of woman who could succeed there in terms of like, like how she looked and lived and no one else could this is
1: very prevalent in a lot of the fashion industry like this was, this was a west coast thing but the east coast which has a lot of these fashion houses you know like american ones this is really this is one of the reasons why i actually moved from from new york to la because i was trying i wanted to work for a company that was a little bit more inc- inclusive and didn't have that catty oh,
0: i know like, i know hey, I say this all the time and I'm going to say it again. Like don't give your money to assholes. The reality is as Kim's saying more of these brands than not have this fucked up shit happening Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Right. And if you look at their social media or their website and you don't see a person who you can connect with that represents you, if you don't feel like you see yourself in that brand, I just don't think you should give them any of your money period because if If a brand doesn't seem to be very diverse in terms of its marketing, its models, its sizing, they they want your money, but they don't want you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like I'm like on a soapbox right now. This is like one of those lessons that I have learned mm-hmm. in life.
1: I guarantee that they will be there sitting in meetings and saying nasty things. I guarantee it.
0: Oh. For sure.
1: I've been in meetings. I'm
0: like, what is this? Where I've been in meetings where it's like, ew, you wear a size medium? Yeah. Oh, you fucking yeah. cow. Like, this is, yeah, this is exactly. real. I've been in meetings where, listen, we've been talking and we've decided as a brand that we don't think any cup size over a B is attractive. In fact, we think it's disgusting. So we're going to make sure we make clothes that don't fit anyone who has more than a B cup. Like, this is, I've been in meetings yeah. like that. If your boobs don't fit into a brand's clothes, don't buy from them. There's a larger story going there. Racism, classism, fat phobia, probably lots of other isms that are bad. They're all real and they are in the fashion industry. It gravitates
1: towards the, you know, it's, it's fashion. It's all about look. Looks, so it it, you it know? pulls in people, not Amanda or I necessarily. I mean,
0: we've also kind of been outsiders because of that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I me mean, neither. I feel like people respect me because they know that I know what I'm doing and I'm smart. But like they don't think I'm yeah. one of them. They it don't is. think that I'm desire. They side, you don't think know, that the way like, I look hey, is I aspirational. That. You know? Yeah. Like like oh, they invest just... in some good stuff. Invest right. in some right.
1: I mean, just... Amanda, and this might be a sensitive Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm real nasty.
0: Yeah, she said I was too fat to dress the way I dressed, and to yeah. be clear, I'm like a I'm a firm size medium. <laughs> yeah, and even if I'm a size quadruple XL, but who cares? What the fuck yeah! First off, who cares? And why are you saying that about me at work? Like, like nasty girl is
1: like embraces this kind of um. What would you call it? Um, <laughs> show off y? I don't know. What would you call it? Like, uh, <laughs> where, you, where you show yourself off a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, when you work there, you're going to wear the clothes. It's yeah, part of that's what it is. buying the right clothes, right? You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is something that I think about a lot because I do feel that I have been an outsider mm-hmm. in the industry because I, you know, I come from a really poor background. I, I'm not tall and blonde as, as I've mentioned, I'm a firm size medium, which is huge in the fashion industry. And you know what? I have a kid. I've talked about this with other people. Like this is a sensitive subject and yet it's not like, I feel like that's something I have to hide from people because they judge me.
1: I didn't know Amanda had a kid for like probably, I don't know, three or four
0: months Right because I didn't go through yeah. the standard like I was engaged for a long time then we got mm-hmm. married we waited a few years and then we had a kid like I had a boyfriend I had a kid he died I raised the kid alone like it's not it's not like socially acceptable
1: Right you feel empowered
0: you know and it, that's that's classism too yeah I uh, also feel that like as you get older some of these brands don't want to hire you like yeah. you're 40 fucking gross go work at, I don't know, like maybe, maybe Ann Taylor would think I was like young and lively, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so these are all the things that you face in this industry. And I've been interviewing so many professionals from the fashion industry over the past month. Yeah. And everybody has the same, just terrible stories. And these are all people who I've always thought of as like the smartest, coolest people I've worked with. And so I, I think that's really telling about what's going on there. Yeah, it's really sad.
1: (laughs) And it it just makes for a really bad work environment. And you you lose all those good people because they're not going to stick around for it.
0: Yeah. So I would say, I mean, my advice on this is if you see an article that is like uncovering the badness Mm -hmm. of a brand, which we've been seeing a lot lately, or you see comments on an Instagram post from employees that call out something bad going on, You need to pay attention to that and you need to not buy from that brand. And I know people like to argue against cancel culture, but in the world of retail, it's really just a boycott. You need to give your money to someone else and hold that grudge because I feel like people are like, oh, it turns out everyone at ref was really racist and didn't want to like have plus size models and thought it was gross and treated their store staff terrible. But, you know, that was a few months ago and I really need a dress for a wedding. Like, no, that's not how it goes. (laughs) You need to cut it off now. And keep it cut off. And I'm really bad at holding a grudge. So I have to remind myself of these things all the time too.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, mean, Amanda, what would be be interesting is to provide a list, an ongoing list somewhere of brands that are, you know, transparent and positive that you feel like people should be supporting.
0: That's a really great idea. You know, I think basically what you're saying is I do have to make a website. (laughs) You do need that. I was going
1: to say, you put it on your website. And then I was like, oh, well, you don't have a website.
0: Okay. Well now, that, now I have a reason to have one because before I was like, why would I have a website?
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, you know, offering a little bit more support and, and giving a reference point for people of like, you know, I, I don't necessarily say, you know, list the bad ones, but list the good ones.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And that's, I that's going to be my next project. <laughs> I'm gonna give you some work. Here's some homework. <laughs> you yeah. Thanks. Stuff. Thanks, yeah. Kim. Thanks a lot. So, so Kim, do you have any parting thoughts? Anything else you want to add? I did, you know,
1: there, there, this is a, this could be a whole other podcast, which is like the direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. So I have been reading a lot about how, you know, with this COVID and the crisis and everything and you know, how people are putting a lot more energy, especially like these, These larger companies that have been so reliant on on the Nordstroms of the world to support so much of their sales, they're now focusing all on digital and they're focusing on direct to consumer. And that's a little bit different than brand that's just direct Mm -hmm. to consumer, but that is you know a lot of these brands are going to be trying to actually move away from Mm -hmm. wholesale and. Really target direct to consumer, and it's going to be opening up some budget for these smaller brands at at these larger um, these larger companies. And then you're going to start seeing more of this direct to consumer model kind of growing. But the direct to consumer model really kind of came out of the recession around 2008, where they were taking out that middleman and relying mostly on you know the digital platforms to do their whole story online and all their sales online, you know, you're seeing it with the Warby Parker, like they saw so much success at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, Warby Parker away, which I know has had a lot of problems. And a lot of these companies where they were able to, to find that they were able to scale with this model It's extremely expensive though. You know, yeah. they, they get a lot of this funding, a lot of the startup, And most of these companies that you found that did put so much money into their marketing, they still are not profitable. Isn't that
0: interesting? It is. I already know this because I've worked for a lot of places that aren't profitable, but yeah, I think I I say this all the time, like all these brands that you think are just like breaking in the dough, like where you think they're all just like swimming Mm -hmm. in a pool of money, like Scrooge McDuck, like not, they're not like they're bleeding money. Like a lot of these businesses are still years years away from being profitable. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot. I mean, we just broke down all the things they have to pay for. Like, this is no joke. They often are making almost no money off of you. Like if they're making any profit off of you at all, it's already been spent in other ways to get you in the door. Yeah. It's
1: all marketing. It's like through every single channel through podcasts, Yeah, which is a really big, uh, a big one for people who are who have the money to spend.
0: They're very expensive. We don't have ads, but if we did, they'd be really expensive.
1: Ah! <laughs> so, but direct to consumer, um, the direct to consumer model, I think will just continue to to increase. I think d- doing it in a more sustainable way is going to be, you know, there's opportunities. I just don't know what they are. You know, you've had some conversations about. Um, the give back component, um, but I think that more products that do support causes, but in a, you know, in a positive way, um, those those are going to be the ones that will continue to see uh, positive growth. You know, I mean, Tom started doing it probably pretty much first. Tom and Morby Parker, and you know, having having something that at least offers some value as opposed to just products and sales and, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, to be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with this give back component. I think it. what's wrong is the way a lot of brands abuse it. So, like, Tom's gives away $1 for every $3 that they sell. I mean, that's huge, right? And that's been a part of their model since day one, and they've been able to make it work. And Warby yeah. Parker is selling you something yeah. that you actually need, which is a pair of eyeglasses, that are pretty reasonably priced and they're still giving away another pair of glasses. I mean, like these things are good to me. It's when someone sells you a t-shirt for $40 and the react that you don't need, mm-hmm. by the way, you don't need this t-shirt. And the reality is that they donated four cents six months later. Like there's a lot of that out there. Um, I guess mm-hmm. once again, you're pushing me to start this website clearly where I talk about that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I know you got a website, So you can have a list of like the, the, the the ones that offer good causes and are right, and right. are transparent about it, and there are because there are lots of good people also in the world.
0: There are you know? there are for sure. There and are. Don't don't give up all hope. It's not all mm-hmm. assholery. Like there are people who really do want to do good things for the world, and sometimes selling things is the way to make those good things happen. Mm-hmm.
1: I think one of the the other things. I just wanted to talk about was like the pricey versus expensive buying things that are quality, you know, and a lot of people just are so used to spending, you know, the $40 on a dress like buy the $250 dress.
0: Right, and don't buy buy one dress instead of six. You spend the same amount of money. It's a behavioral change. Yeah. It's going to be hard. It's a, it's a process and it's like you have to retrain yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been working yeah. on this for myself for a while now and it's still hard sometimes it is because you see that that price tag and you're like oh i can afford that you're like yeah i'm broke this is great this will perk me yeah. up invest in some good stuff invest in some pieces yeah yeah you know? well i'm yeah. so glad that we got to sit down and record this today because it's been such a delight it was just like talking on the phone with you for three hours so thanks for having me yeah thank you thank you so much kim Hey, it's me again, Amanda. Thank you to Kim for spending some time with us and sharing her knowledge and advice. We had such a great time that we're actually working on a spinoff podcast about trends and taste called The Department. It's coming really soon. As promised, I want to dig into those shopping holidays like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Black Friday is traditionally the day after Thanksgiving. You know this day, right? Right it's generally been viewed as the beginning of the holiday shopping season. In the past, it's been primarily focused in brick and mortar stores. Cyber Monday is the Monday after Black Friday, and for the most part, it remains an e-commerce sale day. In the years that I've worked in the fashion and retail industry, I've seen a sort of outward creeping of these shopping holidays. First, Black Friday spread to Thanksgiving Day, as more and more stores either remained open all day Or opened Thanksgiving night after everyone ate dinner. Some department stores adopted an open 24 hours policy that began at midnight on Black Friday while most of us were sleeping off pie and wine. Soon, Black Friday specials were extended through the weekend until Cyber Monday. Makes sense, right? Then it was the day before Thanksgiving. Then the Monday before Thanksgiving. Then a whole week of daily deals starting the Thursday before. And so on. Last year, some brands even adopted a Black Friday starts at Halloween sort of approach. And then there's Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday, also known as the day after Cyber Monday, was created in 2012 as a day for the good people of the world to do some charitable giving after the shopping storm the previous days. And it sounds great. I support it fully. I mean, what a great idea during this season of giving to remind yourself to do some giving, but in recent years, savvy brands have adopted this as another reason to get you shopping. Most retailers have begun offering something along the lines of, a portion of profits from today will be donated to such and such a charity. This can help ease the drop off in sales after Cyber Monday. For my opinion <laughs> about just how beneficial these give back situations can be, listen to the mini-sode I did a few weeks ago about cause marketing. The TLDR of that episode: these donations end up being pretty tiny, sometimes less than five cents per dollar you spend, and the donation isn't made for months. Basically, don't buy stuff just because of this pretty inconsequential give back. It's no surprise that the five busiest shopping days of the entire year occur from November 21st to the 26th. But there are more holidays now. Another emerging shopping day is Green Monday. This term was coined by eBay in 2007 to describe the best sales day in December, usually the second Monday of December. Most retailers aren't calling out the name Green Monday in marketing messages that you'll see, But they are sending you a ton of exciting sale offers on that day the most recent holiday season i did see people using the term green monday in email and i was like whoa so here comes another official shopping holiday i guess but there's more guys let's not forget about amazon prime day boxing day that's the day after christmas singles day That one-day sale at Macy's that seemed to go on for years and years but still used the same theme song that said one day in the background. (laughs) You know you've heard it. It was on Hulu a lot for a while. (laughs) Science has proven that shopping, especially when we think we are getting a hot deal, gives us the same sense of excitement and accomplishment that we once got from hunting and gathering. But as we've been discussing on basically every episode, our addiction to shopping and deals, deals, deals is so bad for our planet. To reiterate what Kim and I discussed in the last episode, the stuff we are sold as super hot deals for these shopping holidays is not that great of a deal. Most of the product is specially developed to drive profitability at a deep, deep discount. That means cheaper fabrics, less details, cheaper trims, And probably lower pay for all the people who are going to touch that product from fabric cutting to sewing to shipping. And once again, this product is not planned to sell at full price, even if brands and retailers are implying that it is. It's always been meant to be a hot deal. In some of my jobs, I plan these promotions, which I know seem random and lucky to the customer. I plan these promotions six months ahead of time. I performed a laborious hindsight on previous holiday sales, figuring out what was a hit, what I should have ordered more of, what could have been cheaper, or what could have been more expensive. And then I used that analysis to determine how I can make the next series of shopping holidays even bigger, even more profitable, and even more exciting. I worked with vendors to sub out fabrics and cut out details so we could get lower costing for the next round of deals. I negotiated discounts based on increased quantities. Cause you know, we're planning to sell a lot, right? In most cases, my planner gave me a sales target I had to hit along with a profit margin target. And I figured out how much of each thing I had to buy to hit those goals. And you know what? I was good at it because I understand the excitement of a good deal. But as I've mentioned before, when something seems cheaper to us, it has less value to us. We won't wear a 75% off dress to a special event. We probably won't think it's valuable enough for a job interview or a date. And so it will end up at the Goodwill or the landfill a lot faster than its full price comrades. Okay, let's break down some of the environmental impacts of deals, deals, deals. First, there's the clothing, right? Even if the buyer was working on developing these styles for six months, it's all still fast fashion at its core. Bargain-priced clothing can feel beneficial to shoppers, but too much can harm the environment, especially when it's rapidly bought and sold all at once. One study from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation estimates that a truckload of textiles is wasted every second. And I'm not talking every second of Black Friday. I'm saying every second of every day of every year. (laughs) And think about the resources, the energy used to make and process all of these clothes and orders. What about the synthetic fabrics used in fast fashion clothing? They often contain microparticles of plastic that eventually end up in our water supply and later the ocean. Remember in episode one, we talked about people eating a full credit card size serving of microplastics every year? Those Black Friday clothes are a big contributor. And next, there's all the packaging. A mountain of poly bags. And boxes upon boxes upon boxes. Probably some dumb hang tags with special safety pins too. I mean, you know they're creeping in there. And while boxes can be recycled, the use of cardboard outpaces existing recycled resources at this time of year. I mean, you just can't stay on top of it. So what does that mean? Here comes some more freshly cut down trees. And we love trees, don't we? I know I do. And then there are the deliveries. Do you want to hear a crazy statistic? In 2017, so three years ago, It was estimated that every 93 seconds, so a minute and a half, a diesel truck left an Amazon fulfillment center. And while there are no statistics available for right now in 2020, I can assume it's even higher since we're more dependent on e-commerce than we've ever been. Studies have proven that air pollution increases during these shopping holidays as more and more delivery trucks are dispatched out onto the roads. And think about it, that makes sense because a lot of these shipping companies hire a lot of seasonal workers to help, you know, carry the burden of all these extra orders. And this can impact neighborhoods that don't have the roads infrastructure for this level of traffic. Here comes some more potholes, more congestion, and you know what? more pollution from idling trucks and cars stuck in traffic. Are you ready to quit these shopping holidays yet? I'm thinking about doing a more in-depth episode about all of this as we get closer to the holiday shopping season, so stay tuned. In the meantime, let's promise to resist the siren song of deals, 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 and instead reevaluate what the holiday season really means to us. I've been working on that with my family for the past few years. And it's been good. We've had some, actually, the best holidays I've ever had in my life. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Do you like what you're hearing? Hate what you're hearing? Have an idea for an upcoming show? Email me at closehorsepodcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at closehorsepodcast. Please leave a rating and or a review, depending on how much time you have. On Apple Podcasts. Somehow, through the magic of algorithms and possibly our robot overlords, ratings bring us new listeners. If you want to spread the gospel of not giving money to assholes, share us with a friend. Word of mouth is always the best advertising. And you know what? I get so excited when you tag us in your posts. Thanks as always to Justin Travis White for our music and sound production. Until the next episode, bye.